If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The Vox Markets Podcast. With Justin Waite, nothing in this podcast is intended as investment advice and the people in this podcast may hold positions in the stocks they talk about. Do not buy anything based solely on a tip or recommendation. Please do your own research. Welcome to the podcast on Friday the 20th of November 2020. On the podcast today, John Wood, CEO of Infrastrata, provides an overview of their operations, which are a gas storage facility in Northern Ireland, Harlan Wolf shipyards in Belfast and North Devon. Also on the podcast, George Franciscides, executive chairman of Alba Mineral Resources, explains why they've extended their gold exploration area in Wales. Plus, Russ Mould, investment director at stockbroker AJ Bell, talks about the COVID vaccines and dividends. Plus, as always, I have two lists for you. The top five most followed companies on Vox Markets in the last 24 hours and the top five most liked RNSs. You can see both these lists, in fact, top 10 visions of these lists at voxmarkets.co.uk. We'll also see lots of other content. In fact, there's an article there about Trackwise Designs raises 11 million at two pound in advance of IHT manufacturing. Uh, Fusion Antibodies uh, article there as well. And don't forget, there's videos there and our COVID-19 index. Uh, biggest riser today on that index is Gene Drive up 8% to 5950 and biggest fall, actually, is Fusion Antibodies down 10% to 112. Check that out at voxmarkets.co.uk. Vox Markets is an online community of investors that runs a free mobile and desktop platform that allows you to track news and updates about any UK-listed company. Offering RNS push notifications, detailed charts, pricing data, and much more. Find out more at voxmarkets.co.uk forward slash app. And joining me on the podcast right now is John Wood, Chief Executive Officer of Infrastrata. That's I-N-F-A. John, thanks for joining me. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, good, good to talk to you again. It's been yeah, a while. Yeah, well, listen, we, we just looked it up and I said it's, it's almost two years ago. You know, it, it was in November last, in 2018 we last spoke. And of course, a lot has changed there. The, the company's uh, sort of shape and profile has changed. So we'll discuss that and we'll talk about a bit more detail about all the projects going on there. But um, before we do, John, an overview, if you will, a summary, infrastructure. Tell us what it's all about. Well, strategic infrastructure organisation. Um, you know, we've got the Island McGee gas storage project that will be a project that will trans- transition um, to hydrogen later in life. So a key strategic asset there. And we also own the iconic Harland and Wolf shipyard in Belfast that we acquired back in December 2019. And we acquired the Appledore shipyard down in Devon on the 26th of August this year. So really a, a group of organi- an organization uh, with strategic assets, the two, the two docks in Belfast are strategic, the dock in Appledore is strategic, the gas storage project strategic. Um, so look, we're really on the journey um, moving forward. So look, I think it's a really exciting time. Uh, we're, we're all, all things moving forward here at the moment. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so th- three parts now: the shipyard, two shipyard, and uh, the gas storage. Uh, so, talk, talk us through, because of course, when I first talked to you, then you just come on, and it was all about the gas storage. So, where are you with that at the moment? Well, the gas storage project, um, we had a few things um, to start out that we spent last year sorting out um, in, in tidying up the feed. Um, that project pretty much ready to go. Um, we've got an offtake um, provider on board. There's one thing we're waiting on, and that's uh, the marine licence, which we hope to have in place by by the end of this year. Um, then hopefully we should get FID taken um, in the first half of next year for that project. Mm. Now, look, when we were looking at that project and we were looking at the economics of that project, we were looking at how to build bigger modules um, for the gas processing plant and get them to site. That's when we first started looking at the, the Harland and Wolf shipyard. Um, and look, looking at the shipyard um, gives us an opportunity to take a chunk off the cash flow and probably put about 30 to 40 million um, of fabrication work through the yard for that project. So I think you look at all the strategic infrastructure projects that we will look at, and I'll talk about the future and the vision um, a bit later as we work through. Um, but, you know, vertical integration of being able to keep some of that cash inside the group um, for, for this comes through the supply chain rather than subcontracting all the work out is something that re- really attracted me. And look, if you look back at my career, um, I started off as an engineer and officer in the Merchant Navy, went through on ships, shipyard, ship repair, building vessels, repairing vessels. And I, uh, you know, more recently, I ran the, the Marine Division for BE Systems um, out in Australia. So we had the majority of the Australian fleet and the naval fleet there. So I think when you look at the, the shipyards and what we intend to do with them, as well as doing the, the, the fabrication for the infrastructure projects, you know, we, we've got five markets um, six services in each market. And I think the key thing, you know, numerous shipyards over the years um, have failed and they failed because they've either concentrated on defence or they've concentrated on oil and gas. Um, and, the, you know, the, there's peaks and troughs in every industry. And what we are keen to do is make sure that we're having five different markets, which is defence, cruise and ferry, commercial, oil and gas and renewables. Um, you know, whilst one market might be dropping off a bit, the other markets will be buoyant. But inside those those markets, we've got the services we offer, which really is a full life cycle service from technical services at the beginning, which is all your design work, then fabrication. And the fabrication's interesting. It could be parts of ships. It could be whole ships. It could be bridges. Uh, it could be bits for power stations. Um, so there's a whole array of fabrication works that can go on there through to the repairs and maintenance and the dry docks. And, you know, since we bought Belfast, um, we've had 19 ships through the dry docks there um, since we got the, the yard back in operation. In-service support, that's when you, you take people out um, around the globe working on vessels while they're working then bigger conversion work then at the end of the the life cycle decommissioning so that's like when all the oil rigs come out the north sea 
we're one of um, a couple of yards in the UK that's got a decommissioning license, so we bring them in and decommission them. And I think that there's a couple of announcements that's come out recently from from our Prime Minister. Uh, one yesterday was his Green Industrial Revolution, um, where you know we cover off offshore wind in the fabrication bit of the business. Um, we cover off hydrogen because the gas storage um, project will go hydrogen towards the end of the life cycle. We've got nuclear through fabrication. Um, we've got the green maritime with the upgrades in the shipyards. And, you know, carbon capture um, could come into the gas caverns as well. So we've got 50% of that initiative. Um, and then the announcement that came out today that we were actually named, uh, two yards were named. I just posted something on LinkedIn recently about that, um, saying that, you know, it's the biggest defence spending um, for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, we, we've got all to play for, really, you know. Yeah, and when you took on, sort of, you were thinking about acquiring the shipyards, did you realise, you know, like you said, people have tried before and failed there. Did you realise straight away that there was, you know, maybe diversification was where they lacked, uh, you know, and, and why they failed? Well, I think look, I did a study several years ago why shipyards failed. Um, and when I was out in Australia, one of the things I didn't, I went into that yard when it, it just hit the wall and run out of defence work and it didn't have anything. Mm. So I put in a very similar strategy and increased the workforce from 60 to 1,800 in a period um, of 15 months. So it's not something new to me. I've done it before um, and it's come through and we, we sort of tried and tested it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And and, and as far as, you know, um, I suppose the commercial side of Infrastrata, where are you in the journey of development here? You know, if you could say on a percentage terms or, or in a yearly term, I mean, you know, how long will this journey take? I mean, what's the plan going forward, looking over, say, three, six, nine months, maybe a tw- couple of years into the line? What's happened? What's, what's, your, what's your ambition? Well, look, I think we spent the first year really sorting out the business and what we inherited. Um, we spent the last year really bringing our strategy into play. So we think, you know, by, by the end of next year, um, we'll start to see things really picking up um, and really ticking into where we want to be. So I think we're probably, if you look at this as a five-year project, mm-hmm. we're probably one year into into the five years. And I think one of the first things I said when I came in, we were looking to create long, long-term shareholder growth um, and, you know, this wouldn't be a short turnaround. It would be a medium to long um, turnaround. But I think those two announcement by, announcements by the PM this week has probably just shortened that journey a little bit. Mm. Um, and, look, I think when you look at the, the changes that's happening um, in the, the renewable market and the, this big drive green that we're having, there's simply not enough fabrication um, facilities in the UK to keep up with probably half of this work if all of it comes through. Um, so I think there's, there's huge potential. But you look at this um, green um, drive to get you know all, all homes heated by electric um, within the next sort of 30 years. And bearing in mind 85% of homes are powered by gas at the moment, you know, the, the first transition will be to transfer away from gas into electric. But don't forget, the, the before you, you're 10, 15 years away from getting all the renewables up to speed. So you've really got a massive transition period where 
gas-fired power stations are going to carry the load. So that the gas storage um, is needed more now than ever, especially with Brexit. Mm. And, you know, the UK has got less than 2% of our annual gas demand in storage compared with the, our European neighbours who have got 25 to 30%. And, you know, now that we're not on so good terms with them, the uh, the chance of us getting sent gas when uh, the, the, there's a problem with the supply chain um, will be a lot less likely than it was before. So I think, you know, especially Northern Ireland and the island of Ireland, I think you're likely to see um, energy blackouts um, or certainly brownouts over the period. Um, so I think that th things will certainly change. Um, over the time and you know I think that gas storage project we originally saw it running its whole life as gas we don't believe that's the case now we think it will start off as gas then slowly transition to hydrogen as hydrogen comes into play but you know we, we had a recent independent report for that project that says you know during construction there'll be 400 jobs um, and an economic benefit of 400 to 600 million to the local economy um, so certainly where we are with a global pandemic, it will be a much needed uh, boost to the local area, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and and if you're looking forward now, just in the next sort of big milestone, next, you know, big achievement, what are you hoping to, to, to you know, scratch off the list there? Well, I think there's two things, really. I think there's one, we've got the ship repair side of the business in Harland and Wolf up and running. Mm. Um, we're looking to get the fabrication side um, moving by the end of the year. Um, and look, there'll be an order into Appledore, um, which is the Devon Yard. Um, we're looking to get something in there probably the first quarter, first half of next year. So I think that that's the, the two, two or three bits on the... The, the shipyard and fabrication side, on the gas storage side, that the marine license is, is the thing we are looking for, so we can get the the, the final investment decision taken uh, next year. And you know, because don't forget, it's now a shovel-ready project, so there's um, a lot more schemes available um, for financing that. They'll see us retaining at project level a, a higher equity level than we perhaps may have done. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Marvellous stuff. Well, John, every day on the podcast, I highlight the top five most followed companies. And to get on that list, lots of people have to hit that follow button on your page. And if they do that, they get your news straight to the front screen of their smartphone whenever you release some news. So um, three reasons, please, why someone should hit that follow button on your page. Well, I think look, we're at the start of the journey. Um, we've got the green industrial revolution that, w that we play into 50%. So we know there's a, a chunk of work coming from there into the business. We, we've got the, the largest shipyard estate in the UK, 120 acres. And when you've got the largest de defence spending announcement just being made, um, it's certainly a great place to be. Um, wind and tidal, we, we see that as massive. And we've got, um, again, the track record in wind, and we've got tidal, the facilities for it. And look, I think we're substantially undervalued in FID um, for Isla McGee. We hope to take um, early in 2021. Excellent stuff, John. Good to chat to you, and hopefully we'll catch up in the not-too-distant future. Thanks very much. Thanks, Justin. Cheers. The Vox Markets Podcast with Justin Waits. And joining me on the podcast right now is George Franceschides, Executive Chairman of Alba Mineral Resources, ALBA is ticker. George, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Justin. Good to speak to you. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? And uh, you've been busy. 
We have been busy indeed. Yeah, well, I mean, I think last time we spoke was must be a couple of years ago, and uh, and now you've got uh, a full range of assets and uh, minerals there. So we'll dig into that. In fact, before we talk about your new today, which is uh, in my homeland in Wales, of course, Welsh gold, the best gold in the world. <laughs> I'm biased, but I mean, uh, before we dig into that, George, um, for people maybe not so familiar with Alba Mineral Resources, just give them an overview of what it's all about, please. Sure. Well, Alba is a mineral exploration company and a development company. We're trying to put our assets into production. That's the name of the game. We've got um, a good, really strong portfolio of assets in Wales, Ireland and Greenland uh, on the mining front. We've also got some oil and gas investments, which are in uh, in England. The focus is on the mining assets, always has been. Um, we're, we're doing really good work at Clog Eye. The, the, the Clog Eye gold mine was one of the biggest producers or the biggest producer of gold in the UK's history. Uh, we're in Greenland in a big way. We've got some really good assets there. We've had a little bit of a hiatus because of coronavirus in terms of the work we're able to do in Greenland, but we hope to get that cracking again next year. And uh, we've got this new news, as you say, today, which is... Um, that we've taken the exploration rights over the Gwynfinnis gold mine, which is the UK's second largest producer of gold in history. So we're pretty well set there, and we think um, we're in a very good place in terms of the work we're doing in Wales. Yeah, and I've got to compliment you uh, on the pronunciation there. It's all good, Dave. You've been practising, George, have you? <laughs> I'm getting used to it, Justin. Yeah, I'm getting yeah. used to it. Well, I mean, it's, it sounds obvious to me, but just explain again, you know, why you, you've gone for this, you know, the extended uh, your area in Wales with uh, Gwynfinith there, uh, you know, and you've got Clog Eye as well. So why have you gone for a, a bigger area? Yeah, well, look, gold is obviously at an all-time high at the moment. It's come off a little bit, but it's still around $1,900 an ounce. That's an all-time high since records began. So, you know, gold is a very good place to be. Um, and and we, don't look, we don't look cyclically, to be honest. We look at the fundamentals of a project. What we're always looking for or often looking for is where there's been past, past production history because often, um, you know, they didn't have the same mining, modern mining methods and exploration methods and techniques that we can apply nowadays to projects. So there's no doubt there's gold left behind at Clog Eye, and there's no doubt there's gold left behind at Gwynfinnith. There's there's no doubt there's extensions to the to the, um, the the gold veins at both of those mines that haven't been worked before. It's a question of finding them, and we're using a lot of very very modern techniques and methods, and and bringing a lot of science to bear at Clog Eye, and we expect to do exactly the same thing at Gwynfinnith. So it was a no-brainer really that when this area became available that we put our hat in the ring because, you know, we've done really good work at, uh, at Clog Eye and we, um, we we wanted to join the dots because Gwynfinnis sits there in the middle of the Dolgethlai gold belt between our our existing license areas. So as, as your uh, listeners might have seen from the announcement today, if you look at the map of the Dolgethlai gold belt, we've now been able to join um, the entire length of the gold belt under license essentially to ourselves so we can now do some really joined up thinking and we can crack on with work the length and breadth of that gold belt which is in our own country in our own backyard yeah well, I'm, just, I'm just looking at the previously you know historically produced ounces from there and the grams per ton uh, and the cost back then you know just enlighten us on that yeah, well, look, it's shut down. Proper proper operations, commercial operations shut around 1999 when the gold price was $300 an ounce. So we're talking now six, six, six times plus 
uh, gold price at around $1,900 an ounce. So the, the, the economics uh, are fundamentally different now for gold. Um, gold in Wales has always been, as you say, a bit special um, because it's always fetched a premium price and, and we expect that to continue. That's to do with its heritage, <clears throat> the history that associates with these um, these famous gold mines and the fact that the British royal family has always used, well, for the last hundred years, has used Welsh gold for their wedding uh, bands. So it has a, a number of reasons and it's scarcity as well. You know, the fact there isn't a lot of it in the market. So we expect to get a premium price on any Welsh gold that we produce. So the, the economics are fundamentally good and they're even better when you consider the the price of gold at the minute. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. with both Clogger and Gwyn Finnis, we really expect to, um, you know, the, there was, as I said, it was a bit of a no-brainer. There's, You know, it was something that we really wanted to bring into the fold so that we can roll out exactly the same work at Gwyn Finnis because the geology, mineralogy, a lot of it is pretty much the same as clog eye as you'd expect because it's all in the same you know clog eye formation it's the same um, geological formation so we're, we're we've we've now got you know under our belts close to three years of work at clog eye um, and as you've seen we've been pushing that forward really hard and, and on a number of different fronts to get that back into production so we're going to roll out exactly the same program at Gwynfinith so we know what we're doing we're pretty excited to get cracking there as well yeah, and to be honest, I can't see the gold price, you know, coming back a lot uh, in present times. Is uh, I think you know, there'll be a lot of economic stimulus needed, and of course, printing money is always good for gold. Uh, so, where, where are you at the moment then with uh, Clog Eye and Gwynfinnis? And what's next, uh, George? Yeah, so Clog Eye, we're in the middle of surface drilling. We finished our underground drilling, did about five hundred meters underground. We pulled out thirty-six uh, tons of a bulk sample because the the nature of this deposit both at Clog Eye and Gwyn Finnis, is you can't just drill it, can't just pepper it with holes and expect to get um, a resource or, um, or or representative grade because it's a narrow vein, nuggety effect. So there's there's high-grade pockets and then there's a load of barren material. So <clears throat> just drilling isn't enough. So you've got to drill for structure. You've got to look for the right structures. We know what we're looking for. We know the, the contact between the Clog Eye shells and the uh, quartz veining. Um, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's uh, in essence what we're looking at. And um, and so what we do is we drill, we look for those structures in the drilling and we'll go back in and we'll do some more bulk sampling and some block mining. So we'll take out, you know, we'll take out tons and tons of material in a, in a block, as it sounds, and we'll process that. And we'll get a representative, much more representative grade out of that than pure drilling alone. So it's, you know, it's a painstaking exercise. That's why we have to throw, come at it from different angles. Um, but, you know, it's a challenge, but the, the, that's why it's there. And that's why we think there's massive, pro, massive prospectivity. Um, so, so in essence, at Clog Eye, what are, what are we doing with surface drilling? We've completed one hole um, now for about 180 metres. We're going into the lower Lech Freyth. There's a target there that we really like. Um, we targeted it last November and we hit the right structure. We're now targeting it from a slightly different angle. Well, quite a big different angle, actually. We're coming at it from a bit further away. We, we, we think we'll hit it better at this angle. We're going to hit maybe three, four, five holes. Who knows? We'll see how we go between now and the end of uh, December. 
And um, that's really, as I say, the focus. It's that target of the low electrophorase um, below below the known working. So we're going into virgin ground here, uh, where we're drilling, where we think that there's a very good chance that these ore shoots continue at depth. So that's what we're going to test. Um, so so that's the the news at Clog Eye. But also we've announced that we've got a bulk sampling lease that's been signed with the Crown Estate, which is fantastic. Which means that. Any gold that we find in processing the gold at Clog Eye, um, we own and we can sell. Uh, we'll pay the crown a royalty, as you should, for 4% royalty to the crown. But it's uh, essentially, um, if you like, it's it's mining, you know, it's mining before we're actually mining. So um, it's quite uh, a, a very good result, really, for us to get this agreement that we can essentially exploit and sell the gold in an ex in what is essentially still an exploration phase yeah absolutely okay george listen uh, every day on the podcast i highlight the top five most followed companies and uh, in fact on the front page of our website there there's a list of top 10 most followed and you've been in that uh, quite a while over the last few months so uh, to get back in that list and get people following you give us three reasons why someone should hit that follow button on your page and add you to their watch list please george we, Justin, we've got a fantastic portfolio of mining assets. We've got gold mines, uh, now Clog Eye and now Gwynfinnith. We've got the Amitsot Graphite Mine in Greenland. Um, so I would say the three reasons are uh, Clog Eye, St. David's, Gwynfinnith and Greenland as a whole. Those are the three reasons why you should follow Alba. Excellent stuff, George. Good to chat to you and hopefully we'll catch up in the not too distant future. Thanks very much. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate your time. The Vox Markets Podcast with Justin Waits. And joining me on the podcast right now is Russ Mould, Investment Director at Stockbroker AJ Bell. You're Russ. Yeah, I'm good health, Justin. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. good. I mean, do you know what? It's, it's been funny. I've been looking at the news of the vaccines and uh, mm. almost now becoming used to it. Uh, you know, because uh, the first yeah. one that came along, a massive rally in the markets. And the less uh, sort of smaller waves, haven't they? And in fact, yeah, AstraZeneca came out with Moderna, yeah. and then the Astra One people shrugged a little bit, didn't they? I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think yeah. I heard there was a rumour that um, in fact, there's Radio Five Live it was, and um, and on the other so they may be getting news on a vaccine this morning, and it came out as phase two. So I don't think people you know, think, oh right, that's not good. Yeah, phase that's, three. Well, it, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, what you're hoping for. I mean, so you've, yeah, you've got Pfizer and BioNTech and Moderna and AstraZeneca. You've got um, Johnson and Johnson. Um, who are hoping to finish phase three trials by the end of the year. And Novavax is working on one as well. And then you've yeah. got Russian and, and Chinese trials. So there's there's no shortage of of, um, of of effort being put in, which is fantastic. I mean, I guess what the markets are looking at right now is they're a little, little bit torn between the fact that we can see the cases and accounts where they are, mm-hmm. whatever you think of those data, whichever you think is the right figure to, to focus on, because... As we've discussed before, the numbers seem to move between number of cases to number of hospitalizations to number of deaths, and the focus generally seems to be on the one that looks worse, um, which I guess is you know important for. I guess you could argue people keeping it, getting people to, to concentrate on what they're supposed to do. Um, equally, you know, the markets are looking at that, and on the other side, looking well, there's a vaccine. It may, you know, it's kind of within touching distance, but I guess really. You know, adding up the numbers, you know, Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, they're talking about 800 million to a billion doses being available this year. And then you've got, um, you know, knocking on for eight to 10 billion doses available next year. But again, with a second half waiting. 
So in, in, in terms of, you know, when's there going to be mass availability? Well, I'm a, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm assuming that they will move to protect the vulnerable first and then take it, take it from there. So I would think that you're looking at mass vaccination, assuming that all goes well and they can work out the logistics of shipping these some of these things around at cold temperatures. You know, as, as, as Private Eye pointed out this week, um, rather scurrilously, as it would do, um, you know, you've obviously got this, some of these products that we bought, which have got a very, very finite lifespan. So good job there'll be no border blockages come the 1st of January, eh? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Something to think about. So, yeah, you know, so I, I guess you've got a number of cases now against vaccine within touch and distance, but it'll only be maybe the second half of next year. So markets are a little bit torn betwixt and between. Do they worry about the now or do they keep on trying to price in the sunnier, hopefully the sunnier plans of, of late 2021 and beyond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's that gap. I, I, I lightened it recently. Um, you know, we, like I said, we can see, uh, there's obviously some people who are sceptical of the data there, but uh, we can see, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, it's like, I remember, I always go back to the film The Titanic, and we saw it, I, I had to watch it recently with my son because he's studying it in school, and uh, we watched oh, the okay. film last weekend. And I always remember that, t- that time where they said, right, the ship's going down, how long will it take? And they said, it'll take about two hours. Said, okay, when's the first boat going to be here? And they said, four hours. And with the economy at the moment, we understand there's a vaccine. Most people won't be you know, receiving it until next year. And yet we've got a whole raft of jobs, losses, and, and economic stimulus, and maybe yeah. another lockdown before that. So we're thinking there's a lot of you know, bad news going to come before we actually you know, get fully escaped or rescued by the vaccine, you know? Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the push and the pull. And you, know, yeah. you, you, can, you, you can see what positive news can do because we saw the dramatic rise after Pfizer and a, a healthy gain after Moderna and okay, not so much after AstraZeneca. Um, but you, you can see that, that there are the sectors that have been most affected in terms of business models and uh, finances and, and cash flows. You know, they are the ones that are traveling the quickest because they're going to show the fastest recovery from the lowest base. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why you've had this to some degree, this rotation from secular growth to cyclical growth, if you want to put it that way, or, or, or growth to value, because in the end, you know, these the, the secular growth companies, yes, fantastic stories, but they're quite expensive. They've done very well, whereas the cyclical stocks have done very badly, look cheap on vaguely normalised earnings, uh, and they're going to show much quicker earnings from a lower base. So that's kind of the the, 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 the rationale. But you know, one of the intriguing things that's caught my eye this week is that seven FTSE 100 firms, and I can even name them for you because they're in front of me in my spreadsheet, mm. namely Vodafone, Experian, HomeServe, Intermediate Capital, SSE, Halmer and Sage, have all paid unchanged or increased or all declared unchanged or increased dividends this year, yeah. now, this week. Now, given that you know we, we spent all of the first six months of the year looking at dividend payments being massacred, and I think, you've, according to my spreadsheet, and it, it I do it by eye, so it's not going to be 100% accurate, but I reckon there's been about £48 billion worth of dividend cuts this year. But the bulk of those came March, April, May. The bulk since then have basically been BP, HSBC and Shell. Um, and in June, July, August, September and November, dividend payments or restorations have outpaced cuts. So I, I, I think what I'm not saying that we're we're through that. Again, it's all sun from here. Mm. But looking at companies having planned for the worst and hoped for the best, yeah. I think in terms of their worst case planning, it feels like we haven't perhaps quite got there, and that they've hunkered down. 
they've cut costs, they've preserved cash, in some cases they've taken government assistance and I think there's the debate over should companies be paying dividends before they pay back the assistance is, is, is going to rattle around for a bit um, and understandably so but it, it does feel as if there's also some light at the end of the tunnel for the hard-pressed income seeker in that you are starting to see payments and restorations outpace cuts relatively consistently. And I mean, this one so far in November, we've had £600 million worth of cuts and £5 billion worth of restorations and payments declared. So that, you know, if that trend continues, that does offer some scope for hope for equity markets and particularly the income seekers in 2021 and beyond. I mean, the UK, the, the FTSE 100's offering about 38 3.9% yield for, for 2021 on paper. Now, there are some big challenges there. Um, you're very heavily reliant upon some fairly tricky sectors to forecast, i.e. oil, banks, uh, insurance and miners. So that so you would argue that the quality is, is, is not necessarily the highest. But as we've discussed before, it, it's for all of the understandable desire to see a move toward renewables and away from carbon intensive industries, it really isn't hard to construct a case for oil prices going up. We discussed it three or four weeks ago and actually, unusually for us, they have done since. So that's quite nice. It's nice yeah. to, you know, broken clocks are always white twice a day, I suppose, aren't they? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so I, and I think that case still persists, although we'll see what OPEC say at their meeting in, in, in early December. They can always put a spanner in the works. But I think with oil, you can construct a case. Banks just need the need the economic recovery, the yield curve to steepen, ditto insurers and, and, and miners. So, it, it, oddly enough, the UK's dividends are going to be quite cyclically based in some ways. So again, the quality isn't as perhaps as high as you might think. But if you get that 3.89% dividend yield, that you'd like to think would put a bit of a floor under the market in the sort of six to six and a half thousand range on the FTSE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, that's interesting. So I, I th- honestly think that, like I said, spoke last week, the turn in the tide was that announcement Pfizer, you saw the market shoot up and the sectors mm. that uh, actually rallied were the ones, you know, that... Um, you know, hadn't uh, you know been hammered down, so that was a turning point, I think. But like I said, we are going to see some volatility, uh, and even though these some of these companies have, have said this dividend you know, going to be happening and announced uh, at some bullish day, I suppose. But we're going to see some volatility. And even today, I saw a Reuters yes. poll saying we're in for a double dip recession. You know, so uh, which which I suppose a lot of it is is, is expected anyway, isn't it? You'll be locked down the economy. I, I think to some degree. I mean, you've seen UK consumer confidence roll over. You know, we, I mean, it would be interesting to see US consumer confidence next week. Because you've got the president that might start to reflect the fact that Joe Biden is president-elect. You know, he's not confirmed yet. We haven't had the casting of the votes in Electoral College until mid-December and they aren't counted until the 6th of January and then it's all actually ratified with inauguration on the 20th of January. Um, we would like to see that. But, you know, we've seen today we've got Treasury Secretary Mnuchin uh, withdrawing, not giving the Fed some of the money for some of its programs, $455 billion, saying, I think, actually saying, uh, I think Congress should be involved in spending that. So now this is interesting. You know, central banks have been calling all the shots. Now you've actually got Treasury saying, you know what, we're going to decide where some of this money goes, not you, which I think is philosophically and politically very interesting from a, a, a monetary policy perspective. Yeah. Um, and you've got, you know, some of the US programs beginning to expire and people still waiting to see what Capitol Hill does in terms of the next stimulus program. So at the moment, as we discussed last week, you know, the US savings rate uh, and disposable income figures are through the roof. So if you do get a speedy resolution to this, the American consumer has got quite a bit of spare cash to play with. Now they may just decide to pay down credit card debt, which is what they've been doing 
you would argue from a financial advisor's point of view, quite sensibly for the last nine months. But who's to say when they start seeing a bit of sunshine again and, and, and some good news that they don't go back on the back on the spending trail? And you know that again could be a big fillet for the economy twenty twenty late twenty twenty one onwards. As you say, it's how we get from A to B is going to be, I think, the potential source of volatility, as, as you rightly say, in the next six or nine months. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I said, oh, you know, always look further than, down the line rather than you. I said, you know, it's a lot easier to predict if, you, if you're investing in a company as to uh, predict where they're going to be in, say, 12 months' time rather than where the market's going to be next week. Because oh, you can't tell I, that. Yeah, you, you know? I, mean, I mean, one of the most difficult questions I get asked is, what do you think the FTSE is going to do on the day of Brexit? Well, to which my response is, well, you tell me where it is on the day of Brexit, and then I've got a view. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. if the FTSE is at 5,000, it'll behave very differently from it to 8,000. Yeah, exactly. Exa- <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that sort of question is, is, is understandable, but it's totally impossible to answer unless you know what your starting point is. Yeah, exactly. Marvellous stuff for us. Thanks for that, fella. Keep well. And speak next week. I'll to it. Okay, it's time for the top five most followed companies on Vox Markets in the last 24 hours. They are, uh, let's have a look. I'll, go, I'll do a selection, I think. Uh, in fact, Alba Mineral Resources on there, up 9%, 0.49. Uh, what else is there? Amiga Diagnostics, always popular, up just shy of 1% to 55.5. Um, Immedia Group, that's up 13% at 26 pence. Uh, Rolls-Royce is there, up 2.4 to £1. And again, remote monitored systems. It's, it's flown, uh, but it's down today, 1.85 pence to 2.65. All right, top five most liked RNSs are as follows. Kavango Resources, Publication of Prospectus, Zoetic International Trading Update at four. At three, Practice Holdings, Director Shareholding. At two, Gene Drive, High Clinical Accuracy in India Study. And at one, it's George. And that's Alba Mineral Resources, Award of Ex... Well, it's not George, it's Alba. George is the CEO, the Executive Chairman. Uh, Award of Exploration Licence and Cloyguy Update. That's it for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Muchos appreciados. The Vox Markets Podcast. With Justin Waite. Nothing in this podcast is intended as investment advice, and the people in this podcast may hold positions in the stocks they talk about. Do not buy anything based solely on a tip or recommendation. Please do your own research.